0: How's it going, church? Welcome to an online worship service. It is a communion weekend, so if you would like to pause your device and go obtain some kind of communion element, some combination of the bread and the cup so that you can join us in a few minutes in communion, we would love that. In the meantime, we are going to let this band rip with an awesome worship song, We Are Made Alive in Christ. Let's sing about it right now. You guys ready? Here we go. Well, as I mentioned, it's a communion weekend, so if I may read to you from the scripture from Matthew 26, verse 26. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of of sins, um, sometimes at this church when we're preparing for communion, we, we give a caution because in, in other parts of Scripture there is a caution about you know communion's not just for everybody. You don't take it because you you know it's casual or whatever. You take it because you have a a saving relationship with Christ Jesus. But this weekend, rather than just focusing on the the prohibitions from communion, I want to focus on who is it for. And the answer is, it's for everyone that reads those words and it echoes deep in their spirit as truth. If you can listen to what I just said in the scripture and say, yes, that blood is what covers my sin, then this is for you. Communion is for those who can read through this and hear these words and answer yes. Yes, the blood of Christ is what I'm trusting for the forgiveness of my sins. Not myself, not other people, not what people think of me online. Nothing, just the blood of Christ It's for people who can... Look at this scripture and say, yes, the body of Christ was broken and then knit back together and raised from the dead and he lives in heaven and now the church is the body of Christ and I get to belong to that. Yes, I want that. Communion is for you. It's not about how much money you have or don't have. It's not about your status in the culture. It's not about that at all. You can come to the communion table completely authentically and holy as you are and the Lord Jesus will receive you. Let us confess our sins. Let us sing this song. Let us, at the end of it, take communion together. Here we go.
1: Come out of sadness from wherever you've been Come broken hearted Let a rescue begin Come find your mercy O oh sinner come kneel Earth has no sorrow That heaven can't heal Earth has no sorrow That heaven can't heal So lay down your burden and
2: lay down in your shame all oh, who are So lay down in your head, lay down in your heart, come as you are.
1: There's hope for the hopeless, and all
2: those who sing come sit at the table, come taste the grace. So lay down in your blood burn-
0: at the table. I hope you can bring yourself fully to this moment because this represents the body of Christ. It was broken for you. It was broken for me. It was knit together and raised on the third day. And the Lord sits at the right hand of the Father preparing a place for us. And we are his body on earth. Eat and remember what Jesus did. Jesus said that in this cup represents the blood that was poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. I don't know why it moves me so, but I like to point out that this cup represents every sin that has ever been committed, was just committed, and will ever be committed. The sacrifice of God himself on the cross was enough. His blood spilled was enough. We can stop striving. It's done. We're forgiven. We can live in peace and enjoy and following him all the way home. Drink and remember the cost that was paid for your life by Jesus.
1: So lay down your burdens, lay down your
2: shame, all who are broken, lift up your face.
3: Hey, thank you, worship team. We always love what you provide for us in terms of worship. We're so glad to be able to worship together. And so, hey, once again, friends, welcome to ABF Online. I'll be your announcer of announcements today. How's that sound? Let me tell you about a couple things. First of all, I know that those of you who are home don't always check in with us on our care journal because you're not filling it out and dropping it off. So, Please send us your prayer requests again. Reminder that you can do that at 97000. 97000. Now we have a couple of great things coming up. Our women's courtyard gathering is uh, on Monday, October 5th at 6:30. It's a really great time to connect with women outside in our courtyard, ladies. You will not want to miss that. Then our Canadian Valley meal program has ramped back up. In fact. We're doing meals for dinners, preparing them here and delivering them. Go on our website. If you check out the slide behind me, you can sign up on our website and see what we have left to bring for October 12th. Then we want to let you know about a couple of events that happened last week and show you pictures of those. Our golf classic, our seventh annual golf classic at Moore Park Country Club, was last week, and we had 59 golfers. We had a wonderful dinner. Nathan Alpert from Ugo Ministry shared the gospel, and it was a fantastic time. And then we did our prayer gathering at girl High School last Saturday, and there's a picture of the 18 people that joined us in praying for our school, for our community, for our church, for our country, and for the world. Thank you for participating in both of those events. Then, gentlemen, it's the men's one day. You can call it our fall kickoff, or you can call it our mini-retreat. That's on October 17th from 2 to 9 p.m. We have a day you will not want to miss. And have I told you before? Steak. Yeah, lots of steak. Red meat. I've been told maybe filet mignon. And our our speaker, uh, dealing with the topic of hot topics, actually it's called the Fireside Chat, will be Pastor Scott Cagle, and you've been sending us questions. We're so glad. Keep sending them in and register on the website for October 17th. I want to continue to thank you for all of you who have been so sacrificial in your giving. Keep it up. Again, you can uh, tithe online or uh, mail us a check. And so the last thing I want to share before we go is I want to just pray for you. Heavenly Father, we're so glad to be a part of your family. And even as we look back in just a moment at the woman's one day, we're grateful for all the staff here, we thank you for Adrian and what she does in women's and children's ministry, for Chris and Josh in our student ministries, for Pastor Scott who brings the word faithfully every week, and for our, our awesome worship team and Chad and Erica who heads that up, and our interns, our, our awesome office team. Lord, I just have my heart's full of thankfulness for the staff at ABF. May you continue to bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Just
4: starting uh, this week's uh, message, I'm just wondering if anybody has any idea of what is going on with our country. What is happening is the question I have. People are so on the edge. People are irrational. People are full of hate. I even saw two senior adults fighting on national television uh, this week. In all seriousness, though, much like this week's presidential debates, I would suggest everybody is talking, but nobody is listening. Why is that? Why is that? How did we get to such a dark place in our time and day? number of years back, I watched a movie called 127 Hours. I don't know if you've seen it before. It's based on a true story where a man had his arm pinned by a boulder after slipping on a hike. The movie chronicles his desperation as he felt uh, led to ultimately have to cut his own arm off in order to save his life. The movie was pretty intense and really it left you asking the question, what would I do in that situation? What, what would I do? And really, you start to realize that, that desperate times call for desperate measures as you start thinking about your life on the line. And as as thinking about the state of our nation right now, that's where I would say that we're at, desperate times. People going to desperate measures to rescue what they think they need to rescue. In the past six months, everything's been basically turned upside down from our work to our health to our family life, to personal interactions, to physical touch, to schools, sports, entertainment, even church itself. I'm sure there's other things that I'm not thinking of, but everything's been flipped on its edge. The things that we so often put our hope in have collapsed and it's left us panicked and as our title of our message today would suggest, also parched, just thirsty just longing for something. I'd suggest a similar desperation was in the day and age of our story here today. In that time, they were under heavy, oppressive Roman leadership. They had major social, economic, religious, and even racial tensions in that day and time. And really, the people demonstrated a lot of the same thing that I see today. They were really at the end of the rope. They weren't really sure where to go. That's the backdrop for this interaction, this fascinating interaction we're about to see between Jesus and a Samaritan woman. It's the longest recorded conversation Jesus has with anyone in all of the Gospels, which tells you the significance of the interaction and the way that it speaks still so clearly to us and our current circumstances. Let me pray before we dive into John chapter four. Lord Jesus, we recognize the times are heavy. Times are out of control, it seems at certain points. Well, we thank you that you still reign and rule over all of it, that you have a plan that's playing out, that you are in complete control. We thank you for that. We ask you now to use this text that was written so long ago that still, I believe, has a word for us today. We're not avoiding topics, we're diving into the one constant, God's word, which I believe speaks to everything we deal with here and now. We invite you to be present and moving. I pray that you'd free people from distractions, whatever has been going on in their week, that they'd be able to engage and that they might hear something from you in our time now. We ask that in the strong name of Jesus Christ, amen. Well, starting in chapter 4, we get a little bit of a backdrop. It says this. It says, Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Basically, this is John setting the scene for this interaction we're about to have And you might remember from Josh's message last week in Transitions, where he talked about the willing transition that John the Baptist had of of handing over the keys of popularity, if you will, to Jesus Christ. There was no resistance. He He had prepared the way as God had called him. But as Jesus's popularity rose, it wasn't just John that noticed and his disciples that noticed. It was also the religious leaders of that day that took note. In order to manage his popularity, Jesus chooses to relocate. And his father's divine plan, confrontation with Jewish leaders was still a bit premature. So he was willing to leave a otherwise successful ministry. We're told here that he's growing in popularity. He's willing to leave a successful ministry in order to follow God's plan and call for his life. We're told that he's going from Judea to Galilee. Now, this was about a 40-mile trip. So that's not like a a quick walk. It's a a pretty major uh, trip to go from one town to the other. And in that 40-mile trip at about the halfway point was a town by the name of Sychar, which was about 20 miles into the trip. We're told here that he had, that was a town in Samaria. We're told here that he had to pass through Samaria. Now, if you dig into that statement, that's an important statement because really, uh, realistically, he didn't have to pass through Samaria. That wasn't the only route to get where he was going. In fact, that was the exact opposite route of what most Jewish people would take to get between one town and the other. Most were determined to avoid contact with Samaritans as much as possible in their life even if it involved a much longer hike to get there. You know, now, you might wonder what it was with Samaritans. You hear often in the teaching of God's word, the tension that was there. Just a, a quick recap of the reason that was. A Samaritan was a half Jew, where the other half, they were from another race. Basically, when the Assyrians conquered, the northern, conquered northern Israel, they brought in foreigners to intermarry the remaining Jews. In rebellion, the Jews disobeyed God and married outside their race. The offspring were known as Samaritans. They worshiped gods, but they also worshiped foreign gods as well. The meshing of parents' beliefs left them quite confused most often. Here, John uses the word when he says he had to pass through there to refer to fulfilling his mission given directly to him from God. He was taking every single step regardless of what it meant or what inconvenience or what path he would cross in perfect alignment with the Father's will. Oh, to be able to say that of ourselves, that we we're following perfectly in step with the Spirit's prompting and leading. Notice that Jesus didn't follow Jewish customs or cultural guidelines, but rather the Father's will. Here, he's demonstrating what we just heard in the last section, for God so loved the world. Even the outliers that will have mostly been written off by the present culture. Often the people we want to avoid the most are the ones that need what we have the most. It's one of the things that concerns me about our election year and the current cancel culture in which we live. Because when someone doesn't believe or vote the same way that we do, there's a tendency to basically write them off, which is the exact opposite of what Jesus has called us to. I don't see anything in the Great Commission that gives permission to, to adjust our game plan or adjust the end goal of reaching out and making disciples. Basically here, he says that Jesus arrives in Sychar and he's wearied. In other words, he's legit tired out. Basically, if you walk 20 miles in the heat, you would probably be tired as well. I love that you see little glimpses of Jesus's humanity throughout this account of his life. Basically, this was a desert environment, and so to set the tone, most likely Jesus is, is there and just wanting to catch his breath. It's basically in the middle of the day when it says it's the sixth hour, that is saying that it's noon. So so often our Sunday mornings, I watch people sitting right around noon, and that's exactly the time where people start to melt into their chairs. Well, this is the exact same time that he's arriving at this well. Take a look at the interaction that begins at this place. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. We'll pause there. Kind of a a interesting uh, dialogue, one might say. First thing that you notice, as I already alluded to, was the timing of the day. She was there at a pretty strange time to draw water. You got to wonder why that is basically cultures that have to draw water for a day. Always do it exactly to start the day in the morning in the cool of the day like a soccer mom getting Starbucks in Westlake before yoga. This would have been a a time where they kind of gather around and they hang out the ladies would catch up for the day. They would share stories. I'm sure a little bit of gossip very similar to present day, but here most likely this lady, as we're about to find out a little bit later, had a questionable past, maybe a reputation that wasn't the best, maybe wanting to show up a little bit later to avoid the crowds. We don't know for sure, but it sure does seem like that. But she's about to learn, she's about to learn that Jesus isn't really concerned about that. So what does Jesus do? He asks her for something. What does he ask her for? He asks her for a drink, Again, a glimpse of his humanity. He gets thirsty just like we do. At first, you read this and you might not realize what a big deal this was. But you notice her response there. It says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. In today's language, basically she's saying, I know you're not talking to me and asking me to get you a drink. That was the basic understanding that they had established that they wouldn't interact with each other. She understood that Jesus was ignoring all the cultural barriers. Now when I say cultural barriers, what do I mean? What have, would have been things in that culture? One I already alluded to, she was a Samaritan, two, which was also a big day, un, a big deal in that day, was that she was a woman. That was unfortunately not a time when they were held in high regard. And we're about to learn also of questionable character. Any one of those reasons would have been enough for Jesus to steer clear. In fact, Jesus would even be considered unclean, even if he drank from the vessel that she was drawing water from. Notice though, that he shifts from asking her for water to offering her water. Isn't that kind of funny when you think about it? He's showing there, he's got no base and he's got nothing to draw from. You realize though, a little bit into this conversation that Jesus isn't trying to get something from her. He wanted to give something to her. This was different than all of her other interactions with men. She's the one that's truly thirsty. Jesus refers to something. He refers to the gift of God and he spells it out. What is the gift of God that he's referring to? Living Water, living water, kind of a cool expression when you're sitting by a well that he uses as his illustration. Basically, living water is what every single person on this planet longs for. We all have this problem that nothing that we are thirsty for seems to satisfy. All the things of this earth arouse thirst, but they never offer something that quenches that thirst. So basically, we go along with like that beer commercial, stay thirsty, my friend. Basically, that's how we operate. We're constantly in thirst, a never-ending pursuit with a thirst that can't be quenched. And sometimes, here's the problem with that. Sometimes the things that we think are going to satisfy that thirst don't immediately let us know that they don't quench the thirst. Sometimes it happens over a long period of time. So people waste years and extended amounts of their life chasing something that advertises satisfaction but doesn't actually deliver. Anybody here ever been burned by false advertising, something that promised to do one thing? uh, I'll I'll admit, I'll confess, I, I got suckered in by a Facebook ad a couple of weeks ago. I live vicariously through my son's hair uh, he has a really nice locks. And, uh, and so I've noticed that he doesn't like to put the like gel sticky gooey stuff in his hair. He doesn't like the wet look. And so I saw on Facebook, maybe you've seen this ad, this like powdery stuff that you put in where your hair doesn't have to look wet. You just pepper it in. I was like, you know what? Why don't I buy that for Chase? Not that he's at all concerned about the way that he looks or his hair, but I am. Uh, but anyway, so I buy this stuff and it takes, first off, they had the initial asking price. And by the time you get done with the tax and shipping and handling, anybody been burned with this? All of a sudden, it's like double what the initial cost was. I get this stuff, and honestly, it came in a thing. How big is it? Yeah, it's like, it's like this big, and it's like maybe a quarter full of this powder. So I'm thinking like it might get like one hairdo. So if, he is, if his hair looks especially good this Sunday, basically that was our one shot. That was our, our one thing. But the hassle factor, you're not gonna send it back. You're not gonna complain. Actually, I'm, I'm that guy that might complain. But anyway, this is the kind of thing that we're talking about. Something that by the time you get into it, by the time you've been sucked in, you've been trying to get that well to provide drink for so long and you realize way too late that it doesn't satisfy, that, it, that it's never going to satisfy. Think about all the things that we go down that we don't realize they're empty until we've been in it too long. Relationships, possessions, education, prestige, power, entertainment, food, all of the things that promise so much but are not so great on the delivery. Here's the thing that we have to understand, that God has a purpose for every thirst in your life to bring you to the point where you recognize your need for living water, which provides then instant satisfaction of of hope, of grace, of joy, true love, courage, fulfillment, security, truth, confidence, all the things that a relationship with Jesus Christ brings into someone's life. Life. Now, some might say, I don't know about this text because he's talking about uh, you'll never be thirsty again. Here's the thing to understand with that. We still have days where we're especially thirsty. We were just talking in this circle about being in a week that you're just feeling like, man, that, that word parched, I feel that. I, I, I feel that to my, to my core. But here's the reality. The difference before Christ and the difference with Christ is this is that now we have somewhere to drink from. Now we have somewhere that we can be filled back up. Notice her response with this offer. Sir, give me this water. She is, she's in, she's, she's ready to sign on the dotted line, basically finding out there's free refills, Assign me up, I want some of that drink. If this was at a church, we would have already added her to the database. She would have been on the mailing list. She would have been welcomed in, newcomer's lunch, the whole nine yards. But here, Jesus does the exact opposite. Take a look at how Jesus responds. It's a little bit crazy, one might say. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. We'll pause there for a second. Now let's be honest. Upon first reading, there's a little piece of you when she, when he calls her and tells her, "Go find your husband. Go, go bring him. Call him to come." Isn't that a little bit of a a jerk thing to ask? Especially when you realize that Jesus. Now I'm not calling Jesus a jerk. Let's be clear here. <laughs> Upon first review, you might think that. You might think that it's a especially kind of rude when he knows the answer and the pain. that 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 question probably provokes. Isn't that a little bit rude? However, if you think about it a little bit closer, he wants to offer living water in the area in which we are parched. I'll say that again. He wants to offer living water in the area in which we are parched. The area that our, our soul cries out, the area that's broken, the, the area that's hurting, that's the area that he wants to meet us in. He doesn't want to play games. He doesn't want to stay with the superficial. He wants to move straight to the area that is her worst or most painful part of her life. He wants to offer living water. And what is that area for her? It's obvious. He, she's, he's, he's addressing. He wants to offer living water to the area where she's trying to find satisfaction in men. Basically, she's had five different husbands over the years. In that day and age, that would be unheard of. Present day, maybe not as big of a deal. That day and age, one divorce, somebody was cut off from society. Five different husbands was a pretty traumatic illustration in this account. Basically, now she's living with someone that isn't her husband. He confronts that directly, pointing out that she was trying to find something from mere mortals that only God can satisfy. Here's the reality. If you put your validation in other people's hands, you'll need to keep going back to that person again and again and again. And here's the problem with people, humans, tend to disappoint. Humans tend to disappoint. So the truth is, you can't have a healthy relationship with anyone until you have a healthy relationship with Jesus. So that's where he decides to address with her, getting to the heart of the issue, where the the well that she keeps going to calls her out on her husband slash husband's. My question for us as we try to personalize these texts, what husband would Jesus spotlight in a conversation with you? What is the area that you keep seeking fulfillment, but it always disappoints? It always leaves you thirsty. Maybe your husband has been politics in this season. Let me tell you an important statement right now that you can hold on to. Neither of those men, will usher in the world your heart longs for. Neither of those men will usher in the world your heart longs for. That's not where we should place our our hope. That's not where it's going to come from. Maybe that's the husband he would call us out on. Maybe it's a secret habit or addiction. Men, maybe it's pornography. Here's the reality. It won't satisfy. Big promises never, ever delivering, substance abuse. Again, big promises. It's going to allow me to get away from my day, get away from my pain. Nope, it doesn't work like that. In fact, as we saw in the news this week, it can lead to tragedy with this car accident, even in the last couple days. That's been just heartbreaking. The things that promise so much, but never deliver. Now this woman, this Samaritan woman is, is so disoriented that she acknowledges that he, well, you must be a prophet because you know that about me. But then notice what she tries to do. She actually tries to change the subject, basically using a highly controversial doctrinal dispute of that day. The Jews wouldn't allow them to worship in Jerusalem, so they had built their own temple there on the mountain and were convinced that it was the right place to worship. So she brings up a debatable thing with Jesus. I think that's fascinating, really, because isn't that the same way we operate? Anytime things start to get a little too personal, we want to change the subject. We want to redirect the conversation. Even when I'm preaching, you might be thinking, you know what? I'm so glad that fill in the blank. Mike is is hearing this message. It was an important one for him to hear. But what if God wants to be personal with you? What if he's calling out your husband, This week, and I don't mean your literal husband, get the idea here, how Jesus then brings the conversation back on task. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming. And is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. I love Jesus' response. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, am he. I who speak to you, am he. Basically, he starts the, this uh, uh, redirect, if you will, but, but with confronting your confusion. First, he wants to make sure that she understands that the rescue was going to come for, from the Jews. What Explain that we know and you don't know. There's a little bit of a, a pushback uh, that maybe wasn't too pleasant for her to hear. But in this, he then moves to the fact that this debate of where we worship is about to be completely irrelevant, about to be completely irrelevant. Basically, Jesus is explaining that there's a a day that is coming. And whenever Jesus is referring to the hour that is coming, he's referring to his death and resurrection, which is about to change the game completely. No longer is it going to be a separation between God and man that has to be dealt with in a temple with sacrifice. God has sent his son, Jesus himself, as the Messiah, as the, as the Passover lamb, the rescue, if you will, that's gonna provide an opportunity for that relationship between God and man to be restored. So he's saying there's an hour that's coming where you're going to be able to worship wherever you are standing in your kitchen, driving in your car, walking down a path, sitting at your desk, whatever you're doing, that is where worship is possible. He's excited to be the one announcing that to her. This is a no longer going to be a, a relevant conversation. Everything is about to change. And I love her response because you think about it, her response is like, Well, I do know that there's a Messiah coming, which is kind of cool that someone had explained that there was a Messiah coming. I know that there's a Messiah coming who's going to make all of these things clear. And I love that Jesus in response to that, this is only one of seven times. It's the first of seven I am's in the book of John where he announces his true identity. I am the Messiah. I am who speaks to you. I'm the one that's going to make sense out of all of this. You're in the middle of what you've been longing for and waiting for your entire life. It's a beautiful reality. I love that Jesus doesn't reveal this. He doesn't have an I am statement with his disciples when he's calling them. He doesn't have an I am statement with, his, uh, with the religious leader, Nicodemus, but instead, who does this? he save it for? He saves it for a Samaritan woman an outlier, somebody with a, a shady, questionable past. And guess in this story who you and I are. Guess who we are? We're the Samaritan woman. We're the one with a shady past, the one that he went out of his way to rescue. The extreme sacrifice that was made for you and I. I watched a sermon this past week with our staff by Louis Giglio, I don't know if you've heard him before, I've really been blessed by his teaching in the past. And in the the message he brought up the idea of us be us being gardeners and we're responsible for the garden of our mind. It's kind of a cool talk that he's explained that we decide what goes in, we decide what get what weeds need to be pulled out. We basically are the only ones that can control what goes in and comes out in our thinking. He explained that God's word proclaims it, and then you need to plant it. I'll say that again. God's word proclaims something, and then you need to plant it in there and cause it, to fertilize, to help it take root. Think about this passage for a moment. What is it telling us? When I, If I were to summarize this, this passage in one simple statement, it would be this. You see it on the screen there in front of you. When I am parched, he is my living water. When I am parched, he is my living water. When I'm lonely, he's my living water. When I'm anxious, he's my living water. When I'm self-conscious, he's my living water. When I'm fearful, he's my living water. When I'm confused, he's my living water. When I'm angry, he's my living water. Let me pray as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this invitation that is extended to this Samaritan woman that's also extended to us today, that you offer something that our heart desperately longs for, that we can only find in you. The world may stir up our thirst, but you're the only one that quenches it. We thank you for that invitation. And my prayer is that we would plant these seeds and they would take root in our mind. When we're anxious about what's going on on our planet, what's, what's going on in our country, what's happening, God, I thank you that you're the constant. You're the, you're the, the thirst quenching water that we long for. I pray that we dip in that well often, God, that we would keep coming back to you, the one constant, the author of our faith, the rescuer of our soul, We praise you for this text even now. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. Oh, how high would
1: I climb mountains If the mountains were where you hide Oh, how far I'd scale the valleys If you grace the other side Oh, how long have I chased rivers From lowly seas to where they rise Against the rush of grace Descending from the source to its supply Cause in the highlands and the high you're
2: neither more or less
1: inclined
2: I would search and stop at nothing
1: You're just not that hard to find
2: I will praise you on the mountain I will praise you and the mountain's in my way You're the sun Wow.
1: A mighty river flowing
4: worship team. And just a reminder as we're going out today that, that when you're parched, he's your living water, especially for the person that doesn't know Jesus Christ. Man, this is an amazing time, an amazing season for us to call out to him, for him to be the only one that can satisfy. God bless you. Have an amazing week.